I don't know if I've shared this word with you before, um, and it's kind of embarrassing to do so, but in my house when I was growing up, we had a word that apparently it was just a weird McAdams thing. There were probably lots of things that were just weird McAdams things, but as it is in most families, when you have something, and that's all you've ever known, because that's the only family you've been a part of, you just assume it's kind of normal, and that everybody uses that word. So for us, we didn't say the word delicious. Like, if a a meal was just good, we would say it was good, but if it was really good, at our house, we used the word, you're going to laugh, but Lapitudious. I don't know where it came from or why we said it, but that's that's what we called really good food was lapitudious, and and that was just a mechanic. But I assumed when I was a little kid, I assumed everybody said and understood what lapitudious meant. You know, I mean, it seemed pretty self-explanatory to me. And so when I went to kindergarten, and our kindergarten teacher handed out the snacks, and she asked if they were good, I. I liked my teacher, and so I wanted her to know I really, I really liked the snack, and so I told her, it was lapitudious, and of course she looked at me like I was a strange, strange little boy, and asked me what that meant, and I looked back at her like she was a strange woman, not understanding what an obvious word like that, what that meant. I went home and asked my mom, how, how come she doesn't know this word? And my mom said, well, that's just, that's a word we say, your dad, I don't know, you know, so I mean, it was just a McAdams word. You know, if we're not careful, I think sometimes words can be like that in the church. We might say they're kind of churchy words. And maybe if somebody were to come in and they would hear us singing about this word, saying this word all the time, praying with this word dropped here and there. There's all kinds of words that are kind of churchy words that we only use when we're here. Sanctified and righteousness and all of these words that are good words that are full of meaning and significance, that are really life-changing if we understand them. But if somebody was to just come in and we're just dropping these words, they may not have any idea what we mean by that. And even those of us that have been around the church and even learned how to use these words, I don't know, where did that come from? Why do we say that? And after a while, you get a little embarrassed to stop and say, I don't... Think I really know what that word means. Glory, I think, is one of those words. I was, I was an adult before I ever stopped to say, you know what, we say that word all of the time. We sing that word all of the time. I was thinking about some of the ways that we use it. We, we sing it a lot. Um, one of my favorite songs when I was a kid was Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. And what does that mean, right? I mean, what, what does it mean that he shines a glory on our way? Or we sing, I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the glory land way. We talk about glory as if it's a place sometimes. I'm, I'm glo- going to glory. We talk about glory as sort of a synonym for praise. And so we use it, we use it all of the time. But, but maybe there's some of us that we haven't really stopped to say, well, what does that mean? What does, what does scripture mean when it says that? And since we've been going through John this year, I thought this is a great time to talk about the word glory because for John, this is a huge theme. And, and we, really, we really don't get the gospel deep down in here, in here until we really 
understand how the gospel reimagines what glory is, is and what it, it should be. Okay, so, so that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to explore that idea. And I, when I think about glory now, I think about goats. Okay, so let me explain what I mean by goats. There was a, there was a friend of mine, and he worked with uh, farmers in, in some small villages in Africa. And he said that in some of the villages in which he worked, he was really working with them on, on sort of farming practices and different things. And, and some of the villages, there were some people that had a lot of goats, but yet they, they didn't want to sell them or trade them or even eat them. They wanted to hang on to them because for them, the goats were a what we would call a status symbol. The more goats you had the more important you were in the village. So you knew who the chief was or who the important person was because that was the person with a lot of, a lot of goats. And, and so you could say that the goats were his glory. Or, or you could say that the, the goats were a symbol of his glory. So glory can be both the status or the reputation that someone has. This person, they're important. They're significant. They're royalty. They're a leader. They're, they're somebody that's big and powerful. And it could also be the symbol that tells you that person is big and powerful and strong and important and royalty, right? So, so you could say, I beheld his glory, right? I beheld his glory. In other words, I saw something that told me about that person that he's important, he's significant, he's royalty. In this culture, it might be a goat. It might be lots of goats. And you say, okay, I understand, I perceive, I've seen his glory. I've seen that this person is someone of an important status. And you might also say, I glorified him. In other words, I drew attention to all of his goats, <laughs> or I drew, in, I drew attention to his status as a person who has a lot of goats, or I drew attention to the fact that he's an important person. So I praise the fact that this person has a lot of goats. Now, if you're not in that culture, you may not understand that that means this is an important person, a a significant, a royal, a, a leading, a person with authority. So you could praise them. And if you were a person who, in this case, had a lot of goats, you were a glorified person, you could also glorify someone else. You could give them a lot of goats and thereby lift their status in, in the culture and say, this person is now an important person because I've taken some of what I have and I've glorified them. I've lifted their status by giving them those things. Now, it's not goats in every culture, but I think every culture has something like this, don't they? Maybe for some cultures, a golden crown on someone's head is their, their glory or a symbol of their glory. And you say, that's, that's a king or that's a prince or that's a, a queen or a prince. That's someone that's royal. That's someone that has authority. Why? Because they've, they've got a crown on their head. That, that's a symbol of their glory. That is their glory. So you could say, I perceive their glory, a scepter. Maybe if it's a, a tribal culture, a headdress, and you say, that's a symbol of their status, of their importance. Something occurred to me this morning, and I can't believe I didn't think about it until today. I, I would have had a picture up there, but 
If you've seen Aladdin, have you all seen Aladdin, either the old one or the new one? If you've seen Aladdin, you, you know that scene where Aladdin is dressed like Prince Ali, you know, and he's coming into town on the big elephant, and there's the big parade. That, that parade and the song, that's all I can do not to burst out. I promise I won't burst out in song. But, but I was thinking about the lyrics to that song, and, and it says, he's got, this is the genie, of course, singing about Aladdin and saying, he's a prince, he's royal, he's important. And so in order to illustrate his glory, in order to glorify him and draw attention to his status as someone who's royal and an authority figure, he said things like this. He's got 75 golden camels, purple peacocks, he's got 53. When it comes to exotic type mammals, has he got a zoo? I'm telling you, it's a world-class menagerie. Prince Ali, handsome is he, Ali Ababwa. That physique, how can I speak, weak at the knee? Well, get out on the square, adjust your veil, and prepare to gawk and grovel and stare at Prince Ali. He's got 95 white Persian monkeys. He's got the monkeys. Let's see the monkeys. And to view them, he charges no fee. He's generous, so generous. He's got slaves, he's got servants and flunkeys, proud to work for him. They bow to his whim, love serving him. They're just lousy with loyalty to Ali, Prince Ali. Prince Ali, uh, amorous he, Ali Ababwa, heard your princess was a sight lovely to see, and that good people is why he got dolled up and dropped by with 60 elephants, llamas galore, with his bears and lions, a brass band and more, with his 40 fakirs, his cooks, his bakers, his birds that warble on key, make way for Prince Ali, okay? Now, that, I say, to say that's what glory is. In the mind of the world, in that culture or in any, if you add all of that up, all of his peacocks and monkeys and lions and bears and brass band and more, and you add all of that up, it says he's generous, he's wonderful, he's handsome, he's strong, he's powerful, he's a leader, he's important, he's significant. You take all of that stuff and all of the weight of all of those riches and all of those servants and all of that stuff, and you add all of that up, and that's his glory. And the person with the most stuff is the most glorious, right? That's how we tend to think about glory, that there's some sort of a symbol that says this person is important, this person is significant, this person has authority, this person is a ruler. And so when we, when we read that word glory in Scripture... When we read that about God, here's what we need to realize, that God's glory is about his status as king and his reputation of how he rules as king, right? That he is in charge, and he is significant, and he is powerful, and he is royalty, to glorify him is to do what the genie was doing to Aladdin is to say this is how glorious our God is. This is all of the things that belong to him. This is not only his status as king, but here's how he rules as king. Now, now I want us to think about how that is seen in 
Jesus and how Jesus helps us to reimagine glory. Look at John chapter 1. This is the prologue that John is introducing us to the gospel, right? We've gone back to this text several times. And here's the end of John's prologue. When John is telling us, here's everything that I'm about to share with you about Jesus of Nazareth. Here's everything you need to understand about who he is. He ends his prologue by saying, the word that was, verse 1, the word that was with God and the word that is God, that word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his what? Glory. Glory as of the son, of the only son, the one unique son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So what does that mean? John says, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. That we have seen Jesus' glory. Glory as of God. He bears God's glory. If we were in some tribes, it it might be like saying he was wearing the chief's headdress. He had He had the chief's goats. He has the king's crown. He has the king's signet ring. The things that tell us who God is, that God is king and how he rules as king, we see that glory. We see, in other words, as John would say, signs. We see the signs that Jesus does and we say that's the glory of God in him, that Jesus is God embodied, the glory of God embodied and ruling over heaven and earth. So what does that look like? What does it look like when all of the glory of God is embodied in a human being? Look at verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace Upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That the thing about Aladdin dressed up like Prince Ali and them praising his glory is that all of that glory was a charade. All of that glory was an illusion. And what John is saying all throughout this gospel is that that's true of all the kings and all the princes and all the royalty and all the leaders. Their glory is an illusion. The truth, Jesus would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is full of the glory of God, full of grace Charity, benevolence, giving the life that God has to give, and truth. The law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Jesus is the full revelation of God's glory, right? 
So if, if we're going to make a list of a king's glory, you might say he's got 72 golden camels and he's got the monkeys, he's got the monkeys, and he, all the peacocks and all of the treasures and the riches and the servants and all of these glorious things that the world thinks this is what a king's glory looks like. A glorious king looks like this. A glorious king talks like this. A glorious king acts like this. And then the gospel says, do you want to see God's glory? I'll show you God's glory. God's glory is going to show up. God's glory is going to shine forth. God's glory is going to be manifest. And you're going to see the glory of God. And he doesn't show up riding an elephant. And there's no brass band. And there's no monkeys and no bears and no lions. He comes in riding on a donkey. This is God's glory. In John chapter 2 and verse 11, John says, when Jesus turns the water, you remember this story, Jesus turns the water to wine. John says, this, the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus is manifesting the glory of God to say Jesus is wearing, every time he does one of these signs, he turns water to wine, and his disciples say he's the creator God in flesh. He is God's anointed one, Messiah. That's what Christ or Messiah means. He's, he's, he's wearing God's crown. He's got God's signet ring. He's, he's got the chief's goats. He's wearing the chief's headdress. This is the glory of God embodied in this human being. This is the ruler. And he's manifesting his right, his status, his reputation, his glory as king and ruler. What sorts of things is he doing? How is God manifesting his glory, his right to rule? his authority, his status. And then in John chapter 11, when Jesus gets word that, that Lazarus, his friend, is sick, and, and they're saying, hey, come, come and heal him. Here's what Jesus says. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son may be glorified through it. What's going to happen is he's going to be raised from the dead as a sign that this is the way God rules. This is the way God takes care of his people. This is the way God delivers his people from death. This is the way God serves. This is the kind of God God is. And all of that godness, all of that glory and that right and that status as ruler is embodied in Jesus so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. So you could see that the Son wears the Father's crown, that the Son has the Father's headdress, that the Son's signs and miracles point to the fact that he is God ruling through a human. Now, now here's the shocking part of it all. John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 31 Now is the judgment of this world. 
All throughout the Gospel of John, it's all building up. Jesus is saying, my hour is coming. My hour is coming. I'm going to take care of the enemy of the world. I'm going to cast him out. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out? Yes. Here's what we've been waiting for. Finally, this humble servant with dirt under his fingernails. He's walking around in the dirt, washing people's feet healing people, serving people. Now, finally, will he be glorified? Now, finally, will he take down the ruler of the world? Now, finally, will he be lifted up? And he says, and I, when I am lifted up, and that word means exalted, glorified, lifted up, put in my place, exaltation, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When I'm glorified, when I take my seat on the throne, when the crown is put on my head. But John helps us to see it, doesn't he? Verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of, what? Death he was going to die. His execution was his exaltation. Jesus sees the cross as being lifted up from the earth so that he can draw all people to himself. Now that's not what anybody was expecting, was it? People expect a king to have a golden crown on his head, not a crown of thorns. People expect a king to sit on a a big glorious seat, not to have their wrists and ankles nailed to a piece of wood. But Jesus demonstrates this is how, this is how God's glory is manifested. Not as the world manifests their glory, but through self-giving love, sacrifice, and even suffering. This is how God manifests his glory. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. A king who dies on the cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. This is how glory works in God's kingdom. It forces us to reimagine glory. That glory isn't defined by the number of goats we have or cars we have or how much square footage our house is, or how many degrees we have, or how much money we have in the bank, or how high we climb on the corporate ladder. Every culture has status symbols, glory symbols, to say, do you see this? Do you see how I dress? Do you see how I talk? Do you see what I drive? Do you see where I live? Do you see what job I have? Do you see the money I have? This means I'm important. This means I'm significant. And God shows up. And he says, you want want to know what significance looks like? You want to know what authority looks like? You want to know what glory looks like? Here's what it looks like. Self-giving love. And didn't we talk about that a few weeks ago, about the washing of the feet? And Jesus would say, if I'm the Lord and Master did this for you, 
and you're my servants, and you're my followers, how much more ought you to do this for one another? If this is what the king looks like, what should the servants look like? If this is what the master looks like, what, would, what should the servants and the followers look like? This is what glory looks like. Our status symbol isn't gold or silver or jewels. Our status symbol is the cross. And isn't that what Jesus would tell his disciples over and over again when they're arguing about, well, who's more important? Like, who's going to have a better seat in the kingdom, Jesus? That's really what I want to know. Where am I going to sit? And Jesus would say things like, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your, what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, this is what status looks like. This is what authority looks like. This is what it looks like to live as king. His execution would be his exaltation. And if that's true, if this is the way God rules the world, if God says, I'm going to rule the world, not through a king who sits on an elephant and has golden camels and monkeys, I'm going to rule the world not through a king who looks like a king. I'm going to rule the world not through a king who acts like the world thinks a king should act. I'm going to rule the world not through exercising authority and power and smashing everything in my path, but I'm going to rule the world through a king who manifests the glory of God through self-giving love, sacrifice, and even a willingness to suffer. If that's what God's glory looks like, then what does that mean for us? So here's our moment of truth question. How does your life reflect God's reimagined and redefined glory? Do, do we believe that God rules the world through a crucified and risen king? Do we believe that God's kingdom has been established through self-giving love? Who establishes a kingdom like that? Who builds a kingdom like that? Who says, I'm going to be lifted up and draw all people to myself? If anybody else said that, if anybody said, I'm going to be lifted up and I'm going to draw all people to myself, they wouldn't be talking about giving their life on a cross, but that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was saying, by my execution, by my self-giving love, by my sacrifice, by my selflessness, God will rule the world. And if that's what God's glory looks like, if that's how God has choos- chosen to rule the world, then how incredibly inappropriate would it be for me to say, look at my glory, look at my status, look at what I wear, look at what I have, look at what I drive, look at where I live. And that's why we have to be so incredibly careful that we don't get caught up. And we're going to talk about this more next week that we don't get caught up in this game, but that we allow Jesus 
to help us to reimagine and redefine glory. That glory isn't about what we have, but about what we give. It's not about what we take, but about what we give away. It's not about being lifted up and people thinking that we're amazing, but it's about humbling ourselves, taking off our robe and laying it aside and getting down and washing someone's feet. That's what it looks like to reflect the glory of God. So how does my life reflect God's reimagined glory? Does my life reflect that I believe this is what true honor and glory look like? That the status symbols of the world, that the kings with all of their pomp and circumstance, that the kings with all of their golden camels and monkeys and and, and treasures and all of these things are but an illusion and that the truth is in Jesus Christ and that God rules the world through a crucified and risen king. And it's like Chip said in our Lord's Supper focus, we know that's the way the story ends, don't we? We know that this is the way the story ends, not only for Jesus, but for us. And we have to embrace and step into this truth that this is what honor and status and reputation and glory look like. That it's not about being the greatest, but about being the greatest servant. And that can be hard, can't it? Because in our culture and in every culture in the world, it's easy to get caught up. It's easy to get caught up in the rat race. It's easy to think that what the world says glory looks like and status looks like and reputation looks like and power looks like and glory looks like. It's easy to believe those illusions. And that's why we come here and break the bread and share the cup and remember that God rules the world through Jesus. And when we're baptized into Jesus, not only are our sins washed away, but we're entering into and embracing this story and say, this is the story that I want to be a part of. This is the kingdom that I want to be a part of. This is the king that I want to serve and I want to worship and I want to belong to now and forever. And sometimes along the way, we lose, we lose focus of that and we need to come back home. Sometimes along the way, we get overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And sometimes we need to allow service to take place and serve each other and wash each other's feet, confess our sins and our struggles to each other and with each other, pray for each other, help each other. That's what this kingdom is all about. This kingdom isn't about showing up and pretending like everything is okay. This kingdom isn't about looking like everything is fine because that's all just an illusion. This kingdom is about reality and truth and service and humility. So if we can serve you, let us serve you because that's what this people is all about. Visit with our shepherds after service, or right now you have a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.